Welcome to the Arlington Street Church podcast. Founded in 1729, Arlington Street continues today as a gathering place for progressive people of faith in the greater Boston area and beyond. We are located at the corner of Arlington and Boylston Streets, across from the Public Garden in Boston, Massachusetts. Please visit ASCBoston.org for more information about this historic Unitarian Universalist congregation. Arlington Street Church, gathered in love and service for justice and peace. And just like that, everything changed. When we look back, we remember where we were. When it finally sank in, when reality burst through our walls of denial, when we knew in our heart of hearts that everything was about to change. It seemed like nothing would ever be the same again. To be sure, there had been warning signs. There was a lockdown in Wuhan, China, but who really knew that much about novel coronaviruses? And where exactly was Wuhan anyway? We were told the international travel ban would keep us safe, but then, Italy was looking bad. Hospitals in Milan were over capacity. Physicians were making choices, the really hard choices, about whom they could help and whom they had to just let die. We wondered, how could this be happening in Europe in 2020? On March 11th, the World Health Organization finally declared COVID-19 a pandemic, pandemic, something that was upon all the people of the world. And then, like a plague straight from the book of Exodus, COVID-19 rolled across America, leaving death, dismay, devastation, and discord in its path. To date, there have been 33.5 million reported cases in the United States resulting in over 600,000 fatalities. Shockingly, although America only makes up about 5% of the world population, somehow we account for between 15 and 20% of total world deaths. How could this be? Today, there are still 8.5 million fewer jobs in America than before the pandemic. The pain behind these numbers is unfathomable, almost senseless. Nevertheless, it is reality. We cannot simply wish it away. So how do we begin to make meaning of what we have collectively been through these past 15 months? How do we resist the victim trap of asking, why did this happen to us? and instead focus on what can we learn from this? How do we prepare ourselves to emerge from isolation and successfully reintegrate into society in real time? These are not easy questions, but we do have our past experiences and spiritual guides to help us along the way. Rumi, the 13th century Persian Sufi mystic and poet, 
calls us to accept whatever comes our way, to develop compassion and a sense of equanimity, that state of psychological stability and composure which rests undisturbed by the experience of emotions, pain, or other phenomena that may cause others to lose their balance, their sense of mental and emotional well-being. Rumi writes, this being human is a guest house. Every morning, a new arrival, a joy, a depression, a meanness. Some momentary awareness comes as an unexpected visitor. Welcome and entertain them all, even if they are a crowd of sorrows who violently sweep your house empty of its furniture, still treat each guest honorably. He may be clearing you out for some new delight. The dark thought, the shame, the malice, meet them at the door laughing and invite them in. Be grateful for whatever comes because each has been sent as a guide from beyond. This will come as no surprise. I am no Rumi. I freely admit that when the pandemic came knocking at my guest house door, I was not grateful, nor did I welcome it in. My husband David, who was living at the time in Manhattan for a new job, was about to turn 60. We'd been planning for a big celebration on March 14th in New York City with friends. We had been carefully watching the news, thinking we were going to be okay for the party. And then, that very week, pandemic was declared. My office shut down. David's office shut down. Harvard shut down, announcing that after spring break, we would go to remote learning on Zoom. And what seemed even more inconceivable, our beloved community, Arlington Street Church, closed its great doors and moved into the digital world. It seemed like the lights in our collective guest houses were getting dimmer. A crowd of sorrows was indeed violently sweeping through our houses. It wasn't just the pandemic. 2020 brought with it the murder of George Floyd, demonstrations for racial justice in the streets, and violent counter-protests. Then there was the big lie of the stolen election, culminating in the seditious storming of the Capitol on January 6th. Oh, and let's not forget the swarm of locusts that ravaged crops throughout North Africa, the Arabian Peninsula, and India. People only half-jokingly asked, what's next? Fire, brimstone, earthquake, hailstones. Would my $3.25 umbrella from 7-Eleven protect me from hailstones? I thought not. David and I awoke that March Thursday morning, looked at each other, and decided to grab our dog Ahab and move to our summer place in P-Town. We packed up a few suitcases, which, upon reflection, 
we would later come to realize had been carefully constructed for us out of old but enduring white privilege. The same material, it turns out, that our P-Town house itself was constructed. Let's hold on to the thought of white privilege. We'll come back to that later. Times were uncertain at the beginning of the pandemic. I wondered, would I be able to continue real selling real estate if we couldn't even show houses? Would David lose his job? How long was this pandemic going to last? Would we get sick? How many would die? Would my mother make it through this? I wish I could stand here and tell you that my first instinct had been to rely on faith in my spiritual community as I tried to adjust to and accept the realities of the challenges of 2020. But it wasn't. I am not that woke. I am not that realized a person. Not yet anyways. But I am working on it. Rather, the first thing David and I turned to was our past experiences, specifically the AIDS crisis of the 1980s and the Great Recession of 2007. As we looked at the pandemic and as 2020 revealed all the challenges it was holding in store for us all, we said to each other, we've been here before. We know how to do this. The restriction on the number of sexual partners and the use of condoms in the AIDS crisis became the physical distancing, social pods, and masks of the pandemic. The belt tightening and budgeting skills learned while living in a tent, pitched in a garage in Provincetown during the Great Recession, so that we could rent out our summer place and our spare bedrooms in Boston, served us well. The marches on Washington and the display of the AIDS memorial quilt became the demonstrations in support of Black Lives Matter. We found our way through these challenges by making connection to our past experiences. Looking back, on both sides now, it all seemed eerily familiar. Buttons were pushed. Unwanted, repressed memories and emotions rose to the surface. Among my peer group, conversations would start and then stop. Do you remember back in the 80s when it first started and it seemed like we were all going to die? It kind of feels like that now, doesn't it? Yeah, but I really don't want to talk about that now. Well, how did we get through it last time? We would talk about what we had learned then and how we could adapt it to what was going on now. And yes, the jangled emotions, the fear, and the sleepless nights, they all felt like PTSD when the unlikely becomes reality. The drill is a familiar one. Strapped into our seats and preparing for takeoff, 
We ready ourselves for the drone of the inevitable. This is your captain speaking. Please direct your attention to the flight attendants who will review some safety procedures aboard our A320 jet. In the event of a loss in cabin pressure, oxygen masks will drop from the overhead panel. Grab the mask and pull the tube straight. Secure the mask firmly over your nose, tightening the straps on the left and on the right. Be sure your mask is fastened before you attempt to help others. In the unlikely event of a water landing, there are life vets located under the seat cushions. Place the life vest over your head. To inflate, pull on the cords on the left and on the right. The vest can also be inflated by blowing into the red tubes on either side. Follow the lighted floor strips to the nearest exit. Wait until you are outside the cabin before you inflate your vest. It all sounds like blah, 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 blah. That is, until the unlikely becomes reality. On January 15th, 2009, U.S. Air Flight 1549 struck a flock of Canadian geese shortly after takeoff from LaGuardia, resulting in total engine failure. The captain and crew deployed emergency measures. Masks dropped from the overhead panels. Floor lighting strips flashed. Passengers retrieved their life jackets and put them on. Gliding soundlessly, less than 900 feet over the George Washington Bridge, Captain Sully, a retired Air Force fighter pilot, prepared to ditch the jet in the Hudson River. The proverbial unlikely event of a water landing was fast becoming reality. The last thing the passengers heard after passing silently over the GW Bridge was brace for impact. 90 seconds later, coming in at 140 miles per hour, gliding silently past the startled windows of office buildings in Midtown Manhattan, Captain Sully made a perfect, unpowered belly landing in the middle of the Hudson. The emergency exits opened, the slides deployed, and all 155 people on board were successfully rescued by nearby boats with only a few serious injuries. It was, as one member of the National Transportation Safety Board declared, the most successful ditching in aviation history. It turns out when experts develop a plan, when the captain and crew train for it and properly deploy it, and when passengers follow good orderly direction, disaster actually can be avoided. During the pandemic, the experts told us, listen to the science, work from home, maintain social distance, avoid crowded indoor spaces, wash our hands, wear a mask, and then finally get vaccinated. Dr. Anthony Fauci, you 
are our Captain Sully in the COVID-19 pandemic. Together with medical experts and research scientists, you have helped guide us through to the other side of the pandemic. More and more Americans are getting vaccinated and coming out of isolation. If only our government and fellow citizens had performed as well as Captain Sully, the crew and passengers of U.S. Air Flight 1549, then maybe 600,000 Americans would not have had to die of COVID-19. Then maybe there would not be 8.5 million fewer jobs today than at the start of the pandemic. Aside from the staggeringly incompetent acts and the utter lack of transparency in the prior administration, COVID-19 and the events of 2020 laid bare the ugly truth at the heart of American society. We are not equal. We never have been. A dizzying swirl of events involving a toxic mix of race, politics, economics, history, policing, healthcare, and voting all brought the ugly truth into the clear light of day. American society largely remains divided along the fault lines of color. Black and brown Americans continue to fall victim to murder at the hands of white police officers. Black and brown Americans have suffered disproportionate job loss during the pandemic. Black and brown Americans have become sick and died of the coronavirus at much higher rates than whites because they were deemed essential workers and lived in multi-generational households where social distancing is not possible. Black and brown Americans continue to be vaccinated at much lower rates due to a well-deserved historical mistrust of the American healthcare system and the difficulty of simply getting enough time off from work to get a vaccine. And now, in the legislatures of many red states in the South and West, the voting rights of black and brown Americans are being trampled under the guise of election security, when in fact, there is no evidence of any widespread voter fraud. So much pain, so much grief, so much ugliness, how can we answer the call of Rumi? How do we welcome in this crowd of sorrows? While my first instinct to rely on personal experience and my second to take direction from the experts had both served me well, more was needed for me to be able to answer Rumi's call. A spiritual turn was in order. To develop our capacity for compassion necessary to welcome in this crowd of sorrows, American-born Buddhist nun and practitioner Pema Chodron suggests the meditation practice of Tonglen, where with the in-breath we take in others' pain, and with the out-breath we send them relief. We begin the practice by first calming the mind, and then we breathe in generalized feelings of heat, darkness, 
and heaviness. And we breathe out feelings of coolness, brightness, and light. We next focus in on a particular difficult situation or problem, breathing in the negative, breathing out the positive. And finally, we expand our compassion, breathing in the pain of all who are similarly affected and breathing out relief to them. It sounds counterintuitive, but by focusing on the needs of others, by taking the focus off of ourselves, we can develop our capacity to expand our compassion for others. With strengthened compassion, we can answer the call of Rumi. We too can welcome in the crowd of sorrows. When we get off the meditation cushion and move out into the world, we can take our compassion out with us and put it into action. Dorothy Day, social activist and founder of the Catholic Workers, embodied compassion like few others. Her life's work emphasizes two things I'd like to raise up in particular. The first is her direct engagement with social injustice through protest, political pressure, and social action. Dorothy Day devoted her life to the cause of bettering other people's lives, opening her houses of hospitality to the poorest of the poor, perhaps seeing in them, as Mother Teresa would say, Christ in all his distressing disguises. As Mother Teresa also famously quipped, helping hands are better than praying lips. We need to practice what we preach. As Unitarian Universalists, although our theology may be quite different, we too have a history and experience of embodied compassion, of answering the call to confront injustice through helping others by being good allies to Black Lives Matter, by showing up at protest, by organizing against voter suppression, we too can make a difference. After her commitment to social justice, the second thing of great import is Dorothy Day's belief in the profound importance of community. She writes, we have all known the long loneliness and we have learned that the only solution is love and that love comes with community. We too can embody positive change. We too can build and strengthen our beloved community and in the process make new meaning out of otherwise pain-filled, difficult circumstances. And so we have. Each week, we gather together for worship, together, yet physically separate. Friends, it's been one hell of a year. This being human is a guest house. Every morning, a new arrival. Yes, 
A crowd of sorrows has swept through our houses, but we have strengthened our capacity to welcome them in. We built upon our past experience with the AIDS crisis and the Great Recession. We survived. We learned to build and strengthen our beloved community in the digital world. Remember, in the event of a loss of cabin pressure, secure your own mask first before attempting to help others. If we neglect our own well-being, we cannot help anyone else. The next time we hear, brace for impact, and we will, we don't need to panic. When we follow good orderly direction, disaster can be avoided. We can survive another water landing. Through our beloved community, supported by our spiritual practices, we have nurtured our capacity for compassion. As a nation, we have begun to confront the legacy of white privilege in systemic racism. We have been good allies to our black and brown fellow Americans. Despite the risk of the pandemic, we took to the streets to demonstrate for racial justice. While there is more work to be done, rejoice that our political institutions survived a seditious assault on the Capitol. Rejoice that there was a transfer of political power. Rejoice in being able to say, happy Juneteenth. Rejoice in the miracle of the vaccine. Rejoice for whatever comes, because each has been sent as a guide from beyond. And finally, rejoice in the quiet knowledge and acceptance that in living every day, something's lost, but something's gained. And now, for our benediction, I invite you to place your hands over your heart in namaste. I bow to the divine in you. Our benediction is from Indian author Kalidasa's The Exhortation to the Dawn. Look to this day, for it is life, the very life of life. In its brief course, lie all the verities and realities of our existence. For yesterday is but a dream, and tomorrow but a vision. Let us look well, therefore, to this day. Let us keep the faith and carry on. The service begins when the service ends. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. We would love to hear from you via email at office at ASCBoston.org or through our Facebook page. If you would like to support the good work of Arlington Street Church, please consider a contribution by checking the mail or through our website, ASCBoston.org.